Let me tell you about one of the greatest sources of tension in my home. I mean, Kelly and I, we, we see eye to eye on, on most things, uh, but this one area is absolutely irreconcilable. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many arguments we have had over this over the years. It's that I love bears, and she hates them. I mean, you laugh at that, but like, I, I, I'm a little obsessed. I love, I love bears, and especially like going to and hiking in places in which there are, are bears. Like, and it's one thing to see a bear from, a, from your car, but like on, on, a, you know, on a hike, like that's pretty exhilarating, right? This, is, this has caused some problems. She, she hates it. And, and we've, we've learned over the years a little bit of how to kind of like work together on this. And so we follow all of the bear safety guidelines, all of them. Okay, uh, this was something we, we took at, this is from the National Park Service, actually. Uh, I took this before a hike just uh, about a year and a half ago. If, if a bear attacks, here's what you do, right? Fight a black bear, okay? If a grizzly bear attacks, you play dead. If it starts to eat you, <laughs> then you might as well go ahead and fight back. I mean, what do you got to lose at that point? Like, this is literally like the best advice from the National Parks uh, right there on bears. So, I mean, I'm like, what is she so worried about, right? But I still, I, I, love, I love bears. And until this, this past fall, uh, when one of them, a bear, uh, literally tried to eat my daughter. Seriously, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, finally, okay, Kelly, you're right, I'm wrong. Okay, bears are terrible, I hate them. Uh, like, we, we were just watching this, this massive grizzly, when all of a sudden it charged running right at her. Not at us, at her, it was running. Like, I've never seen anything like that big move that fast. Like, in an instant, like, all of the adrenaline and terror starts, like, raging in my body. It was both in slow motion and, and instantaneous. Now, thankfully, this time we were just at the zoo, what do you guys think? I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I'm not endangering my children, okay? <laughs> and so this, this poor sucker like just bounces right off the glass, uh, leaving like claw marks right where her face was. Look at this next picture. Like, you see that right there? Right at where her face was. <laughs> and so like in this, in this moment, yeah, it was like a smile of like terror, right? Of, of adrenaline-induced like craze. Like in that, in that moment, like that bear became my enemy. Well, not, not really. I mean, just look at this guy. He's so adorable. Look at that. Like, you can't, you can't make a bear your enemy. Like, animals just do what animals do, right? Like, bears, bears they're, they're terrifying, but they're not, they're not malicious. Bears just do what bears do. Humans, on the other hand, people were the scary ones. Am I right? I'm way more afraid of us as a species than I am of any bear, right? Because humans can be mean, cruel, self-centered. I mean, we invented slavery, abuse, genocide, war. A bear can do terrible things to you. Only a human can mean it. A bear can be entirely terrifying. Only a human can become your enemy. 
And I would guess for, for many of us in this room right now, in this very moment, there are people in your life that you would gladly trade for a bear. You picture some of you, you're picturing them, right? And Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love! Now, now, thankfully, none of us in this room have any enemies, right? We don't use that word anymore. It feels so, so intense to say, like, an enemy. Like, who am I, Batman? I don't have an enemy. But I do have people I don't like. People who have hurt me, people I'm afraid of, people I'm mad at, people I, I do anything I possibly can to avoid. An enemy? Yes! Like, that's what an enemy is, okay? We may not use that word anymore. Probably, I'm guessing most of us would, would refuse to call somebody our enemy. And yet, we have them, don't we? And if you take just one thing with you from, from this morning, I mean, Jesus has a lot to say in these verses, but if you take just one thing, I hope it's this. Followers of Jesus love even when it's hardest. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't want to, even when it causes you pain. Followers of Jesus love even when it's hardest. If you haven't already, turn to Luke chapter 6. So we're in the middle of this, this lengthy sermon that Jesus gives here. We started it last week, right? With Reed talked about that. And, and Jesus, he's like, he's describing his community in this sermon, his people. Who are we supposed to be people who love like this. Look again at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And I think for many of us who read that, it's like, this is so classic Jesus. Like we know he says it. We expect him to say it. We're kind of we're used to these words, aren't we? And yet, we have to kind of distance ourselves. Like, go back into the first century for a moment because these words are uniquely Jesus. Meaning there's no, there's no precedent for any of this. Like, this is, this is unheard of in the first, first century. It's nowhere in the Old Testament. It's not found in any other religion or philosophy. I mean, people in, in all kinds of cultures talk about loving your neighbors. But enemies? Like, only Jesus says that. And when he spoke these words, it was brand new in our world. And it made no sense. Jesus said these words to people who had literal enemies, like the Romans are oppressing them. And one other, one other thing to note about this, this, this was also the most quoted verse by the early church. Think about that for a moment. Like in the historical records we have, this is the verse they come back to the most. I mean, we hold up John 3.16 at sporting events. They would have hold, held up, love your neighbors at the Colosseum as they're being murdered. And the church grew like crazy during all that. Which means it's got to mean something even for us today. But this is a big subject. And so to try to get even just a basic level of understanding of what Jesus means, what he doesn't mean, we're gonna to try to wrestle with three basic questions. Because followers of Jesus love even when it's hardest. So question number one is who, right? Who are we supposed to love? I think the best way to 
answer that is just with another question, like who is the hardest person in your life right now for you to love? Picture them. Or, or the hardest people, maybe it's a group of people that you just can't stand or you feel in, in direct opposition to, picture them. Whoever is hardest, basically. That's what Jesus says, really, verse 27. Look at that, who? Jesus says, those who hate you, curse you, abuse you. F- further down in the verses, he says, those who, who strike you, take from you, need from you. The ungrateful, the evil, and the judgmental. It's the worst person you can imagine. It's the person who wants, who truly wants to destroy you. It's the person who has truly already hurt you. And everyone in between. That's who, people. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I would, I would rather do this right here. This is, like, sign me up for that, like with the bear. I, I mean, like, give me a bear any day of the week. But not God's people. Not us. We love our enemies. I can tell you, somebody, somebody really hurt me recently. They didn't, they didn't mean to. And for all I know, I probably had it coming, at least to some extent, right? I fully admit that. And yet it, it really hurt. It still hurts. And every, every time I see them, it hurts more and again. And, and so I, like, like any of us, like I have a, I have a choice, right? I can, I can fight back. I can defend myself, which feels so normal and natural to, 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 to try to prove that I'm right. Or, or I can just sort of t- turn inward, right, and just grow bitter. Or I can, I can ignore them, keep my distance from them. And here's the thing, for many of us, that's what we call today the, taking the high road. I'll just ignore them. I'm not going to retaliate, so that means I'm a good person. Is that what Jesus says? Tolerate your enemies? Jeez, I wish, right? What Jesus says is love. And so here, here's the second question. What, is it, what does it even look like, right? What does it look like to love when it's hardest? Because I can, I can think of examples, right? I think of, of Gandhi, right? Whose peaceful protests won freedom for India. I mean, it's such an incredible story, right? Of someone who truly loved their enemies. Or I think of, of Dr. King, right? Who, who refused to turn, return violence for violence in the move towards civil rights. And both of these leaders, Gandhi and Dr. King, both were deeply influenced by the teachings of Jesus. And I'm inspired by them. But I'm not, I'm not overturning governments, or trying to rewrite civil rights. Like, I, I just want to be able to give in to a little road rage from time to time. Like, is that too much to ask? I just want to indulge in a little bit of gossip occasionally. Like, I want to be able to, to think bad thoughts and occasionally mock a few politicians. There are people that I want to, to discard and to ignore. Is that too much to ask? Yes. Actually, it is. Like, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, none of those things work anymore. 
And Jesus here, he gives lots of different examples of what this, what this looks like. I'm gonna try to sort of summarize it into three broad categories of what this looks like, all of which are too impossible to do alone, but this is the community that Jesus creates. First thing that jumps out to me here is that loving your enemies looks a lot like kindness. That we're to be a community of kindness, which I know sounds so obvious. It's like, well, of course, Nathan, we're supposed to be kind, right? But listen, like, we are, we are such a nice-to-your-face culture and vicious behind your back, right? Like things that we'll say online to a stranger, we would never say to a person's face. But in verse 31... Verse 31 here, we see what's often referred to as the golden rule. Maybe you've heard of the golden rule, right? Some of us are maybe familiar with that. And, and there are versions of the golden rule in many religions and philosophies. But they almost always stop short. And, and frankly, even the way that we as Christians try to live this out today, we, we, we follow more of those other ideals than we actually do Jesus. Because here's, here's how we try to say it. We, we try to summarize the golden rule as don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Which, I mean, it's not a bad rule to live by. That's probably good advice, right? Like if, someone does, if you wouldn't want someone to do that to you, then don't, don't do that. Don't do that to them. But that's, that's not what Jesus says. Actually, what Jesus says here is way harder. Look at verse 31. He says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do that to them. Do you see the difference? He states it positively, which is absolutely open-ended. Not just do no harm, but pursue their good. Not just, hey, you wouldn't want to be punched in the face, would you? No, it's that plus whatever good you would want to receive, do that for them. Essentially, treat everyone as if they're made in God's image as if Jesus actually came in order to rescue them. That he hung on a cross, bleeding out for them. I mean, we need to humanize our enemies, don't we? I mean, one, of, one of my favorite quotes, it's been attributed by, to about a thousand different people. Something maybe Plato, maybe Socrates, but all kinds of people take credit for this quote. Um, it's very simple, it's be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. It's so simple, right? And yet it's deeply profound. Like everyone you meet, everyone you meet carries with them immense wounds. Heartache, insecurity, fear. And everyone you, you meet wants desperately to be loved by another person. And, and everyone you meet wants so badly to know that their lives matter, that it counts for something. We are all fighting that great battle. Even your sworn enemies. So maybe a little kindness. We're also called to be a community of mercy. That's, that's the second thing, not, not judgment. And let's be clear here, even towards people who deserve our wrath, Jesus says mercy. And yet if we're honest, what do we do? We typically demonize anyone who disagrees with us. Anyone, anyone who has hurt us or, or sees the world differently from us, like they're not just wrong, they're bad. And maybe, maybe some of them are. Even so, Jesus says mercy. 
Have you ever, ever heard of the, the fundamental attribution error? It's sort of a common term in, in psychology. It's, it's a fairly universal theory that generally speaking for most of us as humans, um, again, practically universal, like we assume the best about our behavior and our motives and the worst about everybody else's. Like there's all kinds of studies that, that show that this is, this is our, it's our default position. And so like, for example, if you're late for a meeting, it's because you had stuff, right? You were busy and things, things got up and you didn't mean to, but you're still a decent person. But that other person who was late for the meeting, they're so disrespectful, lazy. Like they don't care about anybody but themselves, right? We automatically jump to those conclusions or, or that politician who's on your side, well, they mean well. But that other one, I mean, obviously hates God, America, freedom, and everything I hold dear, right? Like this is what we do. And just even recognizing that this is sort of our, our human default, that we give mercy to ourselves and judgment to everyone else. And Jesus looks at his people. Church, that's us. And he says, not anymore. Look, look at verse 36. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Just take a moment and mentally go back through your Facebook posts. The last morsel of gossip that you indulged in. Or even, maybe that's not you, maybe it's, it's, for me it's more of the quiet thoughts, you know, at the grocery store, the little subtle judgments I make in traffic, in the car line. Think through those things. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And even more haunting than that, he says, for the way that you judge others, you're going to be judged. For the way that you use forgiveness in your life, you're going to be forgiven. For one of the greatest tests of whether or not you've received God's mercy is how merciful you are to others. Well, great. Anybody else thinking, can we just go home now? Um, It's impossible, isn't it? Yes, in many ways it is impossible. And yet the third, the third thing I want to point out here I think is the keystone habit to all of them. I think it's, it's the practice that actually begins to change our hearts towards our enemies, that enables us to do that. And it's prayer. I love that, I love that Jesus mentions that, that if, if we're going to love our enemies, we need a community of prayer. Look again at the start, right? He said in verse 28, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Oh, may the Lord bless you for hating me, right? Pray for those who abuse you. And if there are people that you struggle to love, and of course there are, right? Of course there are. And if you actually want to follow Jesus in this, then you better start praying. You know, dear Jesus, you know so-and-so, would you please give them cancer now? (laughs) May they die in a fiery crash. No, right? I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus means, right? In fact, he makes it really clear. It's prayers of blessing, right? Bless those. It's prayers of compassion. It's asking God to change their heart and to change your heart. It's like, God, I'm really mad at so-and-so right now. I've been really hurt by them. 
So God, would you please bless them in their work? I pray that their family would be one of joy, that their household would be one of hope. God, I pray that you would take this thing and, and give them joy in their lives, but, and, and maybe, maybe even repentance. God, that'd be great. But even if not, help me to love and to see them as you see them. And if you pray this for the person or people that you can't stand, and I don't mean once, like, give me a break, right? I'm talking like daily for as long as it takes. I mean, that person may still be the worst. Like, like they, they may never change. But you will. Who do you need to start praying for? I need to make my own list. Okay, so loving, loving your enemies means kindness. It means mercy. It means prayer. And maybe, maybe you're thinking at this point, oh, gosh, Nathan, do I, just, I just have to take it then? I have, to, I have to just receive from the terrible people around me? Is that, is that what's going on here? And No, I don't, I don't think that. that that's, that's a distortion. I think we need to take a moment here because passages like this have been abused. Uh, and we don't, wanna, we don't wanna water them down, we don't wanna move past them, but we also need to be clear what is loving and what's not. So let me just quickly say, like loving your enemies doesn't mean, let me give three things, okay? First, loving your enemies doesn't mean we look the other way when we see someone self-destructing. Well, I don't wanna offend them. Like I've got my own problems, right? And so we let their greed or lust or anger or you know, gossip or laziness or whatever it is drag them off into hell. No, that's not, that's not love. I mean, imagine if you knew that a bridge was out up ahead and you're the only person that knew it, right? And you think, well, I'm not that great of a driver all the time either. I don't wanna bother anybody. And so you let car after car just careen off the cliff. Like that's not love, like you know that. It's not loving to look the other way when, when you see someone self-destructing. That's the first thing. Second, loving our enemies does not, mean, does not mean that we continually let them sin against us or others. We don't become a punching bag. When Jesus, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he says that, right? Most, most scholars would say he's not, he's not talking about this endless cycle of abuse that you just take it over and over again. Most would say, no, he's, he's saying just like, don't retaliate, don't make it worse. Don't, don't fall back into the sort of the eye for an eye mentality. Don't escalate things. Because the reality is like, listen, you are not loving someone by repeatedly letting them sin against you. That is not loving them. That's not okay. And listen, if you are the subject of abuse or exploitation or someone you know is, you seek help. Talk, talk to us. We want, we want to be a part of that if we can, if we can help that in you, for you. It is not loving to let someone keep sinning against you. And then third, loving our enemies does not mean we immediately enter back into a difficult relationship as if it never happened. Like you can pray for that person, you can fight bitterness in your heart towards that person, and you should, but if you've been deeply hurt by a toxic person, the relationship has changed, and that is not your fault, nor is it your responsibility. You can love, and you should, but you don't have to bear the burden of reconciliation on your own. There's a fine line between forgiveness and enabling, okay? And let me even just add, like sometimes churches are the worst at this. Like we can really blow it here, even as, as pastors, because we want so badly uh, to believe the best about everybody. We want, we want to love and forgive and be a community of mercy, and we should, okay? I'm not minimizing any of that. 
but we can't give a pass for injustice. We can't turn a blind eye for emotional or physical abuse within homes. We can't be so open-minded that we allow just anyone to work with our children. It's not loving, right? It's not what Jesus is saying. And yet, please don't, don't miss this, okay? Don't, don't lose this. Followers of Jesus love even when it's hardest. It may not look like those things, but it does certainly look like kindness, mercy, and prayer. And I know for many of us, we hear this and we think, man, I'm so glad Jesus said these words for someone else. Like you've got your list, man, I wish so-and-so was here, right? My spouse needs this one, my kid. Jeez, people, that's what we do, isn't it? Not me. We find a way to squirm out of it, or we water it down. Well, Jesus doesn't mean this, right? It doesn't mean my circumstance. Or maybe, maybe even think, and I don't, I don't blame you a, a bit in this, but maybe you think in this moment, yeah, but Nathan, you don't know how much I've been hurt. Or, or you, don't, you don't know what those people want to do to us. You're right, I probably don't know. But here's the thing, Jesus does. He knows your story intimately. He knows your circumstances perfectly. And still he says, love your enemies. Which leads to the last question, how dare he? <laughs> right? I mean, how, how can Jesus possibly ask us to do this, something so impossible? Well, let me give four quick reasons. I know this sermon could last forever. I'm gonna be some of your enemies by the end of this. I'll try to be quick. This is so important, right? This is where we live, people, isn't it? I think there are four reasons why Jesus can say this. First of all, it's what we need. And you know it. Like, we know that bitterness, anger, like, resentment, all of those things, like, you've ex- unforgiveness, it destroys you. It's what we need. And the cycles that continue, the, the, the escalation that so often happens, the only thing that can stop it is forgiveness. Love. Humans can be terrible. This kind of love is the only thing that can begin to put us back together again. Reason number one is it's, you need it. We need it. Reason number two is because it's what our world needs. I mean, look around, right? It's not great. Things are not awesome. But the church should be different. I mean, just even think about the, the story of Gandhi, right? Someone who was so influential and so deeply influenced by the teachings of Jesus. But do you know what he said? He said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. What an indictment. Do you think it was, a, it was a coincidence that the early church grew from 12 apostles to covering the entire Roman Empire, that it, that it grew in a situation in which Christians were being murdered for their faith and yet people couldn't sign up to follow Jesus fast enough. Do you think it was a coincidence that their favorite verse during that time period of our history was love your enemies? And church, our world is desperate for it. Hungry for something different. So reason number two, it's what our world needs. Reason number three, it's what Jesus did. Like, Jesus doesn't ask us to do something he was unwilling to do. Like, he never does. He loved his enemies. He came for the people he knew would reject him. He washes Judas's feet. He's willingly hung 
on a cross and even cries out in the moment, Father, forgive them. And it's not just what Jesus did back then. It's a great story, right? Here's the thing, it's what Jesus does. It's what Jesus did for you. You were his enemy. Apart from Christ, do you know that? Like he's, he's an infinitely holy God and there's no one in your life who can offend you as much as you've offended him. You think you've got a long list of offensive of, of the people around you, right? Your, God's list on you is longer. And you were his enemy. I was his enemy and yet he came for us. And Paul says in Romans 5, I love this because like, Paul knows how ridiculous it is. He sets this up. He's, he's like, occasionally somebody will die for somebody. Like for a good person, he says. Like maybe, like if you're lucky, maybe if you're a good person, someone will die for you. But look what he says in, in verse eight. He says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, while we were enemies, like while we ran from God, he chased after us. When we hated him, he showed us mercy. When we wanted nothing to do with him, he continued to pursue us. And Jesus can ask this of us because it's precisely what he has done for us. And imagine if we did. Imagine if this election year we were known for our love, not for our fight for self-preservation. What if Christ's community was known for our mercy, not the list of things that we're against? What if at work you were known for the, for the unique ways in which you treat your coworkers, even the ones nobody likes? Like your boss or your employees, your clients or your suppliers, your customers, like something's different. What about what at school? Like what if you were known there for, for looking after the ones that nobody else wanted anything to do with? Or what if even in your home, what if we made a goal right now, your home or the people, the relationships closest to you, we said right now, my goal from this day on is to always be the first person to say I'm sorry. Church, just imagine if we loved like this. Let's pray. Father, we cannot do this without your help. Spirit, we cannot do this without your power at work within us. And Jesus, we cannot do this without your atoning death for our forgiveness. And so would you point out our blind spots? God, I pray that you would reveal to us the people that are our enemies. And would you help us to love them like you love them? Give us mercy. Give us kindness. Give us prayer. And let us be different. Here are your people. Let us once again proclaim, as the early church did so long ago, that we love our enemies here. It's who we are, it's what we do. Help us, Jesus. Amen.